Welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. What's up? Uh, Knock On Podcast. I think it's 269 and turkey season is in five days. So I thought I had to have my annual turkey talk with my buddy Mike Slinkard. What's up, Mike? Hey, John. How are you doing? <laughs> Good as always, especially now. Yeah. Especially now. People you get, a, you get a little home time now, then that's kind of rare, isn't it? <laughs> oh, man. It is so rare. And. I don't know. I, I kind of get up and we turn the turn the news on in the morning, which is even more rare. I rarely ever watch news, but just to kind of like look at some numbers and, you know, get a get a brief update, watch the news w- kind of with a filter in my brain. But um, mm-hmm. it's hard watching people that are just absolutely sh- like going insane, having to be home and like be around their kids all day. And because I'm just loving every minute of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, you know, for us here, I mean, we're super rural where I live out here in Eastern Oregon. And so it really hasn't affected a whole lot. I mean, you know, some of the stores are closed and stuff like that, but for the most part, um, you know, I, I guess we're kind of blessed here. We don't have a lot of the virus and, and uh hasn't changed a whole lot we're still doing the outside thing a lot and uh you know been out scouting for bears and turkeys and all that kind of stuff and actually our bear season kicked off april 1st and uh so yeah i mean it's it's uh kind of relaxing for a lot of people i think but for us it really hasn't changed a whole lot has it um have they closed the non-residents by you yet not not here yet. Um, they did over in Idaho. Actually, uh, I had a hunt planned, a uh, bear hunt planned for Idaho. Um, our producer, Rex Summerfield, lives up in, in northern Idaho, and he's got some really good bear hunting up there and had it all planned, and they did uh, they did close the non-resident tags for there. But so far, Oregon's still open. It's pretty interesting because I'm wondering how that's going to affect all the different DNR type of operations because at least from my experience they really do run on a limited budget and it seems like it's harder and harder and harder for them to kind of fight the the ag um you know the kind of all the ag situations that um they have to deal with it seems like ag just kind of overpowers what the dnr does and Obviously, the tag sales are such a huge revenue stream that that's kind of the one thing that makes me worry a little bit is in those areas where, you know, revenue is kind of a struggle. I wonder I wonder what it's going to do. Do you think tags are going to just skyrocket for the next year to try to make up for it? Or do you think they're going to, God forbid, kind of go crazy and try to um, force well, I say force. I'm wondering if they if they're all of a sudden going to try to like uh, implement more like doe tags or bonus tags because I've seen that happen like in South Dakota um, mm-hmm. for an antelope an antelope year and it 
it's honestly, it's barely recovered from the year that that many antelope had got kind of, you know, had got taken after a, a big winter kill. And then they still let the bonus, the bonus tags go. What do you think it's going to do? Well, you know, I don't know. You know, if, if it only affects the spring seasons, you know, because basically, you know, where I live anyway, we've got bear and turkey, and the bears all all limited entry, and you know, like over in Idaho, that's a thing too. But you know, there's not. It's not like it's the the key seasons. Um, if it stretches into the fall, it's going to be a major major problem for all the all the uh, departments all across the all across the country. There's no doubt. Um, but like I said, hopefully, I mean, we're still crossing our fingers and hoping we can come out of this thing and still have a still have a halfway normal fall you know i mean that's that's kind of what we're all hoping for so i don't know it'll be interesting um you know i mean you know our state it seems like they never they never miss a chance to raise a price but uh, you know <laughs> yeah uh, it, it'll be interesting to see it it really like i said it, i don't know that it'll affect it a whole lot unless it goes into the fall because that's where that's where the big money's at, you know, as far as the DNRs go and tag sales and that kind of thing. So, guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, where are you going to be able to hunt still? Well, um, you know, here I'm just hunting locally because we're we're on a we're supposed to be on a lockdown here in Oregon, but like I said, as long as you're uh, doing the social distancing thing and all that, which you know, uh, turkey hunting and bear hunting, pretty pretty uh, solitary things for the most <laughs> part. So. Can't think of a better thing to be doing uh, while we're social distancing is is getting out in the woods and uh, you know hearing those gobblers or you know chasing the bears. That's that's the big thing. And but yeah, I'm just this spring we're not doing any traveling. We're just going to do everything here uh, here locally. And and I'm kind of lucky. I mean I'm you know my my best turkey spot's about five minutes from my house. And uh, you know the bear hunting. Um, you know we've we're surrounded by good pristine bear country all around so we got lots of options there and and uh, so yeah that's what i'm going to be doing in the next few weeks well it's cool that uh it's cool that you have options and i know for me this is one of the first times in a long time that i haven't traveled out of state for turkeys normally i'm you know in nebraska as soon as that thing starts and then you know hit south dakota and then i'll come to to iowa and and be at opening week here in Iowa and then kind of go to Missouri and sometimes Oklahoma or Kansas, but I'm only home right now. So I kind of have a whole different approach for Turkey season. I'm, I've got, I've put a lot more effort into like scouting. I've got trail cams out. I've tailored a few little setups. I've got, I've got one, you're going to be happy to hear this, but I've got one setup that's going to be specific for my lawn chair hunt um, there you go. <laughs> but um, I'm trying to, I'm actually trying to do a similar thing to when I'm hunting whitetails. I'm mm-hmm. trying, I'm trying to, to find like the biggest gobbler on my place. I've got one double beard and then there's one that just looks like he's, I don't know, 28 pounds or something. So I'm, I'm kind of keying in on, you know, quote unquote, my trophy gobbler so to speak um which is kind of i don't know it's kind of overkill for turkey i know there's a lot of turkey nuts but for me i'm like okay how do i make this as big of a hunt and as big of a challenge as possible and i don't know it's it's gonna be fun 
Yeah, I think you're going to have a, a ball. I mean, you know, I was out there whitetail hunting with you a couple of years ago, and the turkeys that you got have, are amazing. I mean, we saw like three bearded hens and all kinds of stuff when we were out there. So, yeah, but, um, you know, like I said, I've, I've never been a tr- – quote unquote trophy, I guess, turkey hunter, I guess, if there's such a thing. Um, you know, usually if they've got a full fan, they get shot. But, uh, you know, I mean, but yeah, I mean, where, where you've got limited opportunity, because that's what I do normally too, is I usually hunt at least two or three states. And this year, you know, just the way it is, um, you know, we, we can shoot three birds here, so that's good. But, uh, you know, we've got one, um, and just like you, I have cameras out. Uh, I have uh, quite a few cell cameras out, so I'm actually getting pictures. I had to turn my uh, sound off on my phone cause, so it won't ding during this thing because when I was coming in, it was already going off. But, uh, um, but yeah, that's what I do, too. I, and, and I just kind of try to focus on those areas that, you know, that turkeys, there's in our area at least there's places they go where they like to strut and you know they're they're in front of my cameras almost every day and so you know you kind of tailor that spot but like you i've got one he's a he's not a a multiple beard bird but he's probably got inch and a quarter spear spurs on him um and we had several opportunities at him last year had we been more patient and actually been looking and, and shooting him you know, the thing is, is every time he, he showed up, there was always one closer that had a full fan. And so that's kind of the one that we took. But yeah. Um, anyway, but you know, it's, uh, adding a challenge to it. I mean, like I said, if you only hunt one state, you might as well make the most of it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and I know for Iowa, the cost on non-resident turkey hunting is like, it's hard to even fathom what it is i think it's like 250 bucks a tag um which is a draw too isn't it doesn't he have to draw oh oh yeah they're proud of these birds around here yeah they're (laughs) they're really proud of them (laughs) but i don't know i think i think in iowa what i like about turkey hunting is it's an awesome time of year for me to be out when i'm not overly paranoid about like pressuring deer so I get to, I actually learn a lot when I'm turkey hunting about what the deer do. And I really feel like even if you have a farm you're very familiar with, I think naturally travel patterns and travel corridors and, you know, kind of some of the wintering areas, I feel like they change some. And especially in some of those sanctuary areas where, you you know, I just don't go into certain thickets during deer season at all. And honestly, some of them I never even really shed hunt if I don't have a, a purpose to. But when it comes to turkey season, I like getting out there and and, you know, going after birds at times. And it's it's pretty much every year where I'll be like, wow, okay, I didn't know. I didn't know the deer were pounding this trail this hard or, you know, it looks like they've like they really started bedding in here and in a in a recent year. Um, Mm -hmm. I think people can really benefit by that. And, well, it kind of it doesn't really play into how we started the conversation. But I've told people a lot if they are going to non-resident deer hunt a state that they're not familiar with and especially if you're a public land hunter Mm -hmm. and i've told this to people who have drawn tags in iowa or said like you know i get 
everyone who's going to draw a tag in Iowa calls and asks me, you know, hey, where should I go? Or where's public land? Or do you know any farms I could lease? And what I tell people is I'm like, the best thing you can do, put in for a turkey tag, come out here for turkey season because, you know, most people don't hunt turkeys all day. And you have a really good reason to cover a lot of ground and knock on doors. And more importantly, you can still see a lot of the deer traffic because it's mud. It's not grown up grass right now. Mm-hmm. So you can you can realize where there is a very good concentration of deer or learn some of those those travel corridors, especially if you're on bigger blocks of public. But then also you can maybe, you know, take some thumbtacks, mark some trees, you know, for when you go in in the fall. But going door to door and asking people to bow hunt when it's when like shotgun season because most hunters are are deer hunters but when it's when it's totally out of their mind they it's you have a better chance i think of getting permission places because they're like oh yeah when's deer season this you know yeah that's fine you know you know figure something out, you know, that way they know one, they know a non-resident might be coming to use a deer tag in the fall. And if someone else comes and asks permission, you know, at another, at a later time in the back of their mind, they're like, no, we've, you know, we've already given permission to someone that's going to be coming in. So I think it could play a valuable card for someone who's just looking for a place to hunt for the first time. Oh, I think absolutely. Um, you know, that's the cool thing about the spring, besides just being a lot of us are cooped up all winter and, and, you know, it feels good to get out and, and, uh, have an excuse to get out in the woods and look around. But you're exactly right. I mean, seeing sign from the previous year, it's, it's still there. Um, you know, and the other thing about the landowner thing and is, is, you know, if you're if you're an out of state guy and you're in and you and you get a permission to hunt on a per, uh, on a person's ranch or or farm or whatever it is, um, one of the things that you can also do is kind of prove your worth to them a little bit. Because you know, I mean, if you get a stranger knocking on the door, nobody knows who he is. But if they they'll, they're more likely to take a chance on you on a turkey, which to a lot of to a lot of landowners, turkeys are nothing but a nuisance anyway. So you know, getting somebody permission to go in there and hunt turkeys, but you can actually kind of prove your worth to them, and and a lot of times that's a great way to build rapport, and it, and it, it it'll last for years. I mean, you know, you'll you'll be able to build a relationship, and that's. That's how, I mean, I've done that quite a bit with even around here, um, you know, build a relationship with the landowner. And, and once they once they get to know you, you have a place to go for years sometimes. So it's a great opportunity. But, you know, here, you know, we have a lot of elk here um, where I where I turkey hunt is, you know, some of the same ground that we elk hunt. So, you know, going out and hunting for sheds is fun, all that kind of stuff. But also, like like you on our elk areas, I don't go into those during elk season either into the bedding areas. I mean, it's, it's just like whitetail. If you go and bump the elk out of their bedding area um, one time, you're not going to have them. You're going to have to go find them again. So, again, going in there and, and looking for the rub, rub trees and that kind of thing. I mean, generally speaking, a bedding area is going to have, you know, a ton of rubs and that. And it's a great time to go in and really learn what that bedding area is without disrupting anything for the fall. So I'm just like, you know, I use this time of year for, for scouting as much as I do for hunting. One thing that I think is really uh, evident right now 
with everything that's going on is that there are a lot of people that for the first time ever really have interest in at least listening to like bow hunting or wanting to like do bow hunting themselves for the first time. I think there's a tremendous amount of people that saw those supermarkets run out of food and kind of wigged them out. And, you know, I've got so many people that are sending DMs saying, I have no idea how to hunt. I have no idea. You know, I went, some people I've got messages from bought bows on eBay for the first time because they've had interest in archery for a long time and they're literally trying to learn themselves in their backyards. So what do you think some of the key things, if one of the listeners out there hasn't really gone out and done turkey hunting and have experience, I guess, what are some of the things you think we need to tell them? Like, where do they start? Where do turkey hunters need to start? Because I often find myself kind of, I don't know, I get complacent in the fact that I've, it's been so long since I kind of did that, that I kind of, kind of forget sometimes just the simple basics of, you know, what do I do first? Like, where do I start? What's the first thing that I need to do if I, even if I find a place to turkey hunt? I mean, where, what do you think that is? Well, I mean, just to back up a little bit on your earlier comments, um, you know, I think this this thing that's going on nationwide right now, I, I really think that it has the chance to be a bit of a resurgence for the hunting community because there's a lot of people, just like said, a lot of people sitting there that say, you know, I'm not really self-sufficient. Um, I, I, I rely on this grocery store for everything that, that I, that I eat. And, you know, there's other ways to do that. And, you know, just as an industry, I, I think we have a really good chance of, of bringing in a lot of new people just because of that, you know, it's kind of an eye opener. It's like, you know, when the grocery store doesn't have anything to eat, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, it gets you thinking about all this, uh, you know, I guess kind of scary stuff, but you know, the thing is, is, you know, you and I are going to be just fine if the grocery store doesn't run out. We're, we've got freezers full of, of game meat and we know how to go do it. But, um, you know, back to your question, as far as first things, um, you know, turkeys are, I was super frustrated when I started hunting turkeys and I've been hunting them for, I don't know, 25, 30 years, I guess now. And they were one of the most frustrating things that I ever hunted because, you know, anybody with a, with a call can pretty much get one to answer, particularly, if, uh, you know, in, in early in the morning when they're on the roost. But then they get on the ground and, and they be quiet and all that kind of thing. And so it can be super frustrating. But the probably the first thing, you know, when you enter a property, um, you know, the first thing, and this is beyond equipment, and we probably should talk about equipment at some point too. But the first thing, I mean, for me, when I go into a new new turkey place, I get up before daylight, I'm in there and, and you know, go in and, and try to find the roost trees. And his turkeys are super vocal on the roost. And especially this time of year, when they're in the trees, when it starts to break day, they're going to be gobbling. And if they're not, you know, I mean, give an owl hoot or, you know, if you're just scouting, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and yelp to them and all that because they'll answer it 90% of the time. So knowing where that roost tree is is like super key to knowing where the core area is to the turkeys. Now, they're going to travel miles throughout the day, but 
at least here, most of the time, our turkeys will roost somewhere close to the, if not in the same tree, somewhere very, very close most of the time. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, the first thing is find the roost tree. I mean, once you can find that, at least you have a place to start. That's a great place to start early in the morning. Um, again, frustration is going to, for most people, is going to kick in calling birds off the roost because there's nothing better than to have one fly right into your setup right off the roost. But the actual reality <laughs> is, is most of the time they know where the hens are. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the reality is, is that a lot of times they're not going to do that. But still, they're going to that's that's where they're going to come back to in the evening generally. And it's just a great place to start. I think that's where I always start. Anyway, it's finding where the roost trees are and then uh, then going and looking for sign after that. So Yeah. And the roost trees, if you're completely green to this whole thing, um, the roost tree is where they pretty much where they sleep. You know, that's kind of their, their that's their sleeping tree. And I really like to I actually like to find them the night before, you know, in the evenings. A lot of mm-hmm. times you yeah. can go out to those areas, especially if you've knocked on a few doors and got permission or um, let's just say you have no idea what to do and you're going to buy a turkey tag for the first time. I tell this to people all the time. What I feel like is such an awesome resource is a game warden, you know, call, call your game warden, tell them it's your first time ever going hunting. And I think a lot of people will be very surprised at how willing those guys are to, to help people who have, who have never done it before. And I know my, I know my warden here is like, he is a absolute turkey weirdo. Um, so if he had the ability to help someone out turkey hunting for the first time, it would be massive. I mean, he would love to do it. So yeah, try to try to ask someone first, and then once you feel like you have an idea of where where the turkeys are, then if you go out that night before, they do normally gobble on the roost like right before dark. Yep. Once they fly up into yep. those trees, they kind of tell each other like, hey, I'm over here tonight. We're over here tonight. Yeah, we're in this tree tonight. And you'll have a very good starting point for the morning. Now, depending on whether or not you're going out there and it's opening day the next morning, obviously you're going to want to try to get as close as possible um, to that roosting spot without being seen because turkeys can see just like us looking through a pair of binoculars. They can see in color. They can see super sharp images. If you're out in the dark and you're moving around, you're okay. But as soon as they can see that there's a person walking around, they are going to go the other direction. So like being detected is, is obviously, um, a, a huge no, no. Um, but if you are going out that morning of, you know, get close, get, get sat down and, you know, make sure you're camoed up or, you know, in our case, you're going to be hexed up. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, work on, well, I feel like you can do it a couple ways. I feel like if you're in a place where like, say you go to a farmer or say you go to a warden and they say, you know what? The turkeys love to to fly down in this area and they love to strut here in the mornings. If mm-hmm. you're if you're in that place, I feel like sometimes you're better off just playing the patience card and just seeing how that whole morning 
like see how it pans out without you really trying to be too aggressive on it. But outside of that, if you have practiced making a few calls, you know, if you have a call, I feel like simple calling is probably the best thing. I'm not a I'm not a fancy turkey caller. So when people ask me how I turkey call, I just tell them, well, I just purr and pretty much yelp the same, and that's about it. And I, I feel mm-hmm. like I win the most of the time just being patient to the areas where I know they're coming. What do you have to yep. what do you have well, to say same, about that? Same thing. So 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 the cardinal rule of calling anything is being where they want to go anyway. And that sounds silly, but it really is. Um, you know, whether you're calling a turkey or an elk or whatever, if you're in the in the path of where they're wanting to go anyway, the, the calling gets a whole lot easier. So <laughs> and and if you and if you listen to turkeys, um, you know, you'll get a vocal hen once in a while. But most most hens, again, they're they're gonna yelp and they're gonna purr. That's mostly what they're gonna do. You know, you'll hear them cut once in a while and some of that. And, and you know, there's sometimes if if the gobblers, if I'm especially if I'm wanting to know where they are, you know, I'll cut a little bit. But for the most part, I'm like that. I, I don't do a lot of real fancy stuff. Um, you know, and here's another thing that a lot of people don't realize: if the bird's gobbling at you, he's expecting the hen to come to him. That's how nature works. So when a when a gobbler's flies down and he and he fans up and he's gobbling what he's doing he's actually calling hens to hens to him and so you know if you're if you're trying to reverse that you're trying to actually get the gobbler to come to you so that's not actually how nature works so um if you if you're got if you're you know hitting them and they're hitting you right back after a while what's the best thing to do sometimes is just be quiet Yep. Because what, what the gobbler's going to do is he's going to think that either the hen's got a, another gobbler with her already or she's moving off or whatever, and then he's going to come hunting for you. If if she's talking back to him, he expects her to come, and he, and especially the, the older the bird is, the more likely he is just to, just to stand there and wait for her to come. And uh, so a lot of times, like I said, if you get one wound up, and they're hitting every time and, and all that, best thing you can do is just shut up. Give them, give them a half hour, sometimes 45 minutes maybe, but don't say anything. And, you know, just be ready because eventually that Tom's going to come looking for that, for that hen, is, you know, assuming he doesn't already have one with him. So, yeah, um, they, know, they love that's creeping in. Biggest, yeah, that's probably my biggest calling secret, if there is one, is, you know, realize that just sitting there getting the gobble back, yeah, it's cool and it's neat and all that. But if you want to shoot one, so a lot of times you gotta you gotta let him calm down and go ahead and come on in. So do you use that you know, same do you use that same strategy with bulls when you're elk hunting? Um, you know, for elk hunting is is a little different because um, you can really tell if if you've been hunting elk a while, you can you can really kind of tell their their mood, I guess, if you want to, just by the way they interact with your bugle and. I use I use horn raking an awful lot when I call. So if I get a bull that's that's you know interested, and he's answering back, and you know he's cutting you off, whatever. A lot of times I'll move in, and rather than bugle right in his face, well I'll go in and I actually carry a shed horn with me all the time, 
and I'll go in and just do the horn raking thing because, to be honest with you, that's one of the most aggressive sounds that an elk makes. Um, you know, when when they're wound up, you, you'll you'll watch them. They're raking the ground. They're tearing up trees. They're doing all that kind of thing, and it's a big f you to a bull if you move in and start raking horns. <laughs> it really is, <laughs> and that's a that's a uh, that's a trick that I've used a lot, particularly on herd bulls. Um, you know, because they, they don't really have a good reason to, to leave those cows. Because you've got to remember with elk, the rut's all about those cows. So if he's got a whole harem of cows, he's not going to want to leave them unless he's challenged, unless he actually feels like, you know, I, I need to defend them. And, you know, like I said, a, a lot of guys go in and bugle right in their face. And I used to, and I've killed bulls doing that. But anymore, it's a lot different. Um, of course, here we have a lot more calling pressure and that kind of thing. But, you know, going in, when when you get one, get in close, um, you know, hit that hit that rake and horn and, you know, just, just do that. It seems like that gets them unhinged a little bit better than, than just about anything else that I've tried anyway. So, yep. yeah, it's, it, turkey and elk are a lot alike, but they're not exactly alike <laughs> by yeah. any means. Yeah. Well, with, um, with the first-time turkey hunter, do you feel like it's worth them – trying to set up a blind i mean obviously i know you're not you know you have your <laughs> you have your lawn well, chair hey. thing but let's let's yeah yeah well you know with with hex we do some things a little bit differently and and you know the, the advantage is with turkeys is literally night and day it's it's such a game changer however if you're a first-time turkey or particularly if you're uh, you're trying to bow hunt them um, you know, a, a blind's a good way to go. The turkeys aren't going to pay attention to it. They don't, you know, a turkey, you could set a blind up today and set in it and they're not going to care that, you know, it's not like you got to go out and put it up way in advance, although it's nice to have it there. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly until you get a few birds under your belt, it's a great way to do it. You'll learn a lot. Um, you can get away with, you know, a little bit, it's a little more comfortable, um, you know, you can move a little bit more, but, uh, you know, the way we do it with hex is, um, you know, for the most part, we just set out and as long as we got some good back cover, um, you know, we sat there and call. Now you do, you, you can definitely get away with more movement if you're in a blind because you still got to set somewhat still. You can't be moving all over the place, even with hacks, but, um, you know, that's what we do. We, we set out in, the, in front of that. Now here, because we have so much rain, um, I will set a blind up in our really good spots and I put the camera person in there because, you know, they're typically, you know, have to mess with the camera and that kind of thing. And plus it's a little more comfortable for them. And we do that quite a bit too. Um, but, uh, you know, for the more experienced guys, there's nothing like running and gunning for turkeys with a bow. And it's, you know, until Hex came along, it was kind of hard to even fathom that because it's so difficult to get to full draw. Um, you know, when that bird's in, in bow range trying to get to full draw, unless he's got his head behind something solid or it's hid behind his fan or something like that, it's pretty much impossible to get to full draw. And that's where Hex really makes the difference. Um, you know, and I, I don't know if, if people that don't understand, haven't heard of Hex definitely should go on the website and take a look, but Basically, um, what turkeys see, and, and all birds see this way, and it's actually scientifically proven now completely. Um, when we launched 10 years ago, it was, it was known, but it wasn't as proven as well as it is now. But all birds see electrical fields visually. So um, that's how they navigate. They see the electrical fields of the earth. 
but they also see the electrical fields that come off living beings from heart rate and especially muscle movement. So when your muscle moves, you're creating an electrical field that makes that muscle move. It takes electricity to make the muscle move. It travels outside your body. There's meters that can measure that. Uh, it's pretty well known. And but but what we didn't know as hunters until really in the last ten years is that birds are actually able to see that. So when there's a movement and it has an electrical field associated with it, the bird immediately knows that that's a living movement, and a turkey is going to pay attention to it 100% of the time. Um, what our technology does actually takes that away. So, um, you know, we have a grid in our fabric and it blocks that electrical field. And to that turkey at that time, you know, like when you draw your bow or if you're shotgun hunter, if you raise your shotgun, um, that movement isn't going to be perceived as a living movement and you're going to get away with it. And it's, it's a huge advantage for bow hunters and it makes turkey hunting so much fun because you have the ability to literally run and gun. You know, like I said, I carry a little uh, Millennium, uh, basically a ground blind chair. It's really easy to carry. And, you know, a lot of times if, if we want to, we'll run and gun and get them, you know, move in wherever the birds are at, set up with a little bit of back cover. It, it always helps. Um, but, uh, I mean, I've probably shot close to 40 birds now doing that. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun. So, again, a first-time guy get some get some experience. A blind's great, um, but if you really want to challenge and and want to want to expand your horizons as a turkey bow hunter, you need to try it this way. It's a lot of fun. What are you using decoys much? Uh, uh, yeah, I use decoys all the time. Um, you know, I mean, I've killed a couple birds without decoys as well, doing the same thing. Yeah. But you know, a decoy with with bow hunting, the biggest thing is getting them exactly where you want them. And, you know, I mean, turkey's not a real big target. And uh, so, I mean, you know, the majority of my birds are sub 10 yards. I mean, I usually set the decoys literally nine or 10 yards in front of us. Yep. Um, I've been using lately. Uh, last year, we got the uh, one of the big uh, uh, Dave Smith strutters with the real fan and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And what I did with him was I actually set him up and then I... I kind of devised a, a spring system so I can actually pull on a string and actually he'll spin around a little bit, which does help because the the, tur the decoy being right out in the open, you know, move, moving him around a little bit does get their attention a little bit better. But boy, once they, once they see that, that big strutter, it's, we've had really good luck with that one. Um, I've used the quarter strut Jake as well from Dave Smith with, but um, the strutter seems to, they're just bigger. They're easier for him to see. You know, that's, that's, bottom line are you using the strutter all the time or do you use like a jake earlier in the season you know you know i do use my jake a lot of times earlier in the season but i've gotten to the point now where i just that the strutter is so um hard for them to miss because i'm convinced that a lot of times you call turkeys in and they don't see your decoys yeah i'm convinced of that mm -hmm. um and, you know, that's one of the things is I've had them walk right past. I mean, I've had them walk 20 yards by the decoy and then don't even acknowledge them. And I'm convinced that they just flat don't see them. Um, and so that big strutter is kind of hard to miss. And like I said, if they get in close and I can pull a string and spin them around a little bit, I mean, it's, it's, it's just more obvious for them. And so that's I, I've been using it most of the time now. Um, early on. There are particularly younger birds. If they come in and see a big, a big strutter like that, it'll, sometimes the younger birds won't want to come in at first. But uh, 
that's usually not the ones I'm that interested in anyway. I'd rather shoot a great big one if I can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel like if you want to just shoot a turkey, then having uh, a Jake is going to bring in all kinds of birds. It's kind of like if you're using decoys for whitetails, I tell people – you know, if you just want to have decoy interaction, then put, you know, scruffy little, you know, single horn, you know, basket rack type horn on there. And any adolescent deer is going to be curious and, and come in. But if you're to the point where you really don't want those younger deer kind of wrecking your setup, you know, or coming in and figuring it out and snorting and everything, then put a bigger set of horns on there because you know it's gonna it's gonna take the right dude you know to to want to come in and and play so to speak so yeah exactly exactly well i will say that when i use the strutter i don't have any jakes <laughs> or very few you know yeah um but you know we usually you know they're legal and and i mean in years past we've shot jakes and stuff but um for the most part that's not the bird we're hunting anymore i mean we're, we're looking for a a two or a three or you know even an older bird than that and uh you know like i said with with the strutter you're not going to get that much interaction with jakes um and you know unfortunately there is that's a lot of times the majority of the birds in a lot of areas are are jakes but you know if you're if you're not interested in shooting one of those the strutter is a great a great thing to use um if you are and you just want good interaction i mean i've had good luck with using just a hen decoy tee all by itself i mean that works too um i've kind of used all the combinations and they all work just a matter of uh you know what the birds what the bird's looking for when he comes in but like i said i've kind of went to the strutter just because it's I, i think it's just easier for the birds to see it at a longer distance and you're, to me, it feels like it's more likely to get them in. Yeah, well, I will say this: Dave Smith isn't. You know, they're not like a sponsor of mine, and I can, I can, hundred percent testify that there's there's no decoy that works better than those. Yeah, I mean, it's I, a I, I clo- like mine. Yeah, I, I mean, I I've got some avians as well, and. Um, you know, I actually know Fred Zink, and and I've had some good luck with his as well. I mean, they're they're a high quality decoy as well. But I mean, like I said, my Dave Smiths are I've had them for a while, and yeah, no complaints at all. <laughs> That's for sure. So we've had on the I've got a Dave Smith hen too, and I've got an avian hen as well. But um, you know, the the high quality ones of those, when even when a hen's close, I mean, if you just glance, I mean they're they look so real (laughs) yeah yeah i agree um well so let's talk about let's say the birds coming in let's talk about like what do people need to do to to actually get these shots to happen um for the most part if you can i mean if you're new to this you really need to try to draw back when they're not looking right at you if you're not in a blind. If you're in a blind, it really changes everything. But even if you're a gun hunter, you know, if you're if you're not, let's say you're not in hex, you can't just swing around. Like, they're going to pick up movement. I mean, like, at the snap of a finger, they'll see it so quick. So, you, you kind of need to, to pick and choose your shot time. And a lot of times their fan is what kind of, I don't know. Obviously, it's what makes them attractive to the hens, but it's also something that you can really utilize to draw back when the time's right. 
Yeah, you can, but John, uh, I'm, after you do your lawn chair thing, we need to have another discussion. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you're exactly right. If it's for somebody that's not using hex, everything you said was, is spot on. Okay. Because literally, and, and guys, until you try this thing, it's, it's, like I said, until you literally go out and try it, it's, it's sometimes hard to believe for a lot of people. But, um, you know, I, I'll draw on them. I mean, I, every bird that I shot last year was a sub 10 yards and looking straight at me when I drew my bow. Straight at me. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, literally, I mean, it I sounds crazy. The, I, yeah, I have the hardest time. Like, I don't know you what it is. You promise me you're going to do it. I'm, no, I'm 100% doing it because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've, like, picked out my spot for it. But it's one of those things where, you know, I feel like I feel like I'm an impala and you're trying to tell me there's no crocodiles in the water. You can just walk up there and just <laughs> just walk up and take a drink. Like, there's nothing in there for you to worry about. And, you know, decades of all my Mississippi relatives, you mm-hmm. know, telling know. me how hard it is to kill a turkey with a bow and arrow, like all those voices just ring in my head. And I just hear yep. people saying, you know, what are you crazy? You know? Yep. No, I, I, I hear you. I mean, you know, interestingly enough, I mean, you, you know, we do the NWTF show every year, the big thing out in Nashville. And it's one of our best shows. It's my favorite show to do every year. Because there is more, um, literally, we've been doing that. I think this is our seventh year out there. We have yet to have one single person come up and and tell us that the, that hex doesn't work. That I've actually used it. Um, we've sold literally thousands now uh, of suits at that show, and every year, and this was no exception. I mean, this year, you know, if, if anybody who's watched our TV show probably has seen us actually, you know, when we get the birds in before we shoot them, we actually wave our hands at them. And this sounds so silly. And I realize it's so, you know, counterintuitive to what every, every turkey hunter that knows anything about anything believes. But, uh, I, we probably had, I don't know, eight or 10 people come up and show us uh, cell phone videos of them waving at turkeys. <laughs> You know, right in front of them. And that includes a lot of guys from down south, Mississippi, Alabama, those places that, you know, people, you know, in those areas, that, you know, I, I I get a kick out of it because, oh, you, you can't do that with my turkeys. Well, yeah, you can. Because <laughs> all turkeys see the same way. And th- that's the key. And it's the whole difference um, that, that, that we're talking about here. And it literally what you're doing with hex is you're short circuiting one of the defense mechanisms that that turkey has. The turkey has good eyesight, there's no doubt. But until very recently, we didn't realize how much turkeys and really all birds rely on that electrical field. And when you take that away, it's it's literally like like a branch moving in the wind. Now, with that said, I mean you're not going to stand up and do jumping jacks. But slow movement, um, you know, like drawing your bow. Like I said, John, I've shot in the last five or six years. And when I first started doing this, I was just like you. I thought, oh, gosh, I don't know what I can get away with. And I started out under a ghillie suit with this, this stuff. And, of course, we kill birds. And then I take part of that off. And, you know, and I, I, you know, for a while, I'd like put brush in my in my bow and all that kind of stuff. And just to break the outline up a little bit more. 
I don't do any of that anymore. <laughs> you know, um, I really don't. Um, having some good back cover is really helpful. Um, and, and, you know, you can't sit around and, you know, move around all constantly. You still got to sit pretty still when the birds coming in generally, what I, you know, I'll be, I'll be hooked up on my bowstring. I'll be, you know, turned the direction that I need to be when I shoot. Um, and, you know, when they get in and they get into, you know, your decoy spread or 10 yards or whatever, whatever it is you want to shoot, just, you know, have your bow kind of pointing towards them, pull it back slowly. You're going to get away with it a hundred percent of the time. You really will. <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but you really, really will. So, um, again, you know, with all the guys at the NWTF, and I mean, they're from all over the country. And literally, I mean, we sold out of suits at the NWTF this year for the most part. We had a few sizes left, but for the most part, we completely sold out. And, you know, it's we, we don't even have to sell there anymore. We just stand around and let other people tell their stories because it's literally like that. And, uh, <laughs> so, well, one of, the, one of the secrets that a lot of people don't realize. Well, I'm a believer in hex a hundred percent, and I think any of the listeners who aren't new totally are going to get that because I talk about it a lot, and I talk about mm-hmm. it because I, you know, because I believe in. That's the same way with most stuff that I talk about a lot. It's it's because I wholeheartedly feel like it works, and um, and I'm glad there's more and more true science coming out to where mm-hmm. that's you know it you don't have to really, you know, argue it so much, but I just know that, uh, when I'm with people where both of us are wearing stuff, you know, the amount of uh, the birds are a given, like birds will land on you and, you know, squirrels Mm -hmm. and stuff. But when it comes to, to, when it comes to like things like bears or elk or honestly, or big whitetails, those are those are honestly three subjects to where unless you're dealing with someone who's had enough interaction around those animals to where they can they can more or less vouch that that is not something they should have done. So that's what makes it that's what makes it hard because I've been around enough bulls to where you know like man there was a time that would I would have never got away with that, or especially bears. When you see bears looking through you and not at you, even mm-hmm. when you're like really, really close, and they should a hundred percent be looking at you. And yeah, if you're like, even if you're at a bait site for bears, mm-hmm. they'll they'll still look at you, and you can see their brain thinking like, you know is this guy just here to take pictures and watch me? Yeah. I'll look at him for a while and kind of decide whether or not I like him. That does happen. If you're hunting on bait, it doesn't happen like that. If, if you're wearing hex and then if you're spotting and stalking bears, it seems like that ability is just totally different. And one of the things that was totally changing for me last year was I was on an elk hunt um with Jocko and I came over this hill first because I was trying to follow like s- still hunt into a bugle and I came over this hill and there was a mountain lion at like I'm talking 25 yards just sitting there and I'm looking at it and it you know and I have I've got my 
my sick on and I've got my face mask on, but I mean, I literally walked over a hill and it's sitting there and I'm looking at it and it's just kind of like looking around and looking, it's looking for elk. It's like trying to find the bugle too. And I, and I couldn't quite believe it. So I come back down the hill and I kind of flag those guys up and I'm like, check it out, Mount Lion. And I came back over the hill again and it's still 30 yards. And I had to like raise my arms up in the air and go like, ah, like that for it to finally take off. And it mm-hmm. was it was like a wake up call for me that with predators, this yeah. totally changes things. And then for whitetails, for whitetails, you have to be around big mature deer in the timber enough to where you realize okay in this stand if something goes there i'm pretty exposed like any mature deer is just gonna be like boom you know i Mm -hmm. they got me but i've really eliminated that i mean i really really have and as much as i believe in it and i tell people that all the time it's it's taken me till now to finally just say, okay, I got to nut up and freaking sit in a lawn chair. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you'll uh, you'll 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 be amazed. <clears throat> Excuse me, you'll be amazed. You really will. Um, as far as as what you can get away with, but you know, predators. Um, again, the science has really came along um, with with hacks, and and they're they've actually used hacks a lot to to discover some of this stuff as well. Um, you know, 10 years ago, and when we launched this thing, we were the craziest people in the hunting industry, according to just about everybody. But, uh, you know, since then, science has actually came along and, and really proven what we've been saying and what we've been seeing. And, it, you know, we didn't understand necessarily everything about why we were seeing what we were seeing. But now science is starting to come along. Um, a good case in point is with canines. Um, and I, and I, truly believe every predator has this as well um you know if they if they actually get to studying it but um with canines uh the difference again is almost as vast as it is with turkeys to be honest with you um when we're hunting coyotes um as crazy as it sounds and actually a buddy of mine that lives down about 70 miles south south of of me um he got hex and one of the most uh prolific predator hunters ever i mean he he routinely shoots 100 150 calling every year um and he hunts the 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 high desert so he's hunting wide open country and when we used to be when you when you predator hunt you'd try to you know set up under a rim rock or set up in some kind of high brush or whatever and um his best stuff now and i've actually got to go with him a few times we go down in some of the burned off areas in the bright yellow grass and sit down in the middle in the bright yellow grass and go calling and he's shooting about 50 percent of his with the shotgun now um because they come so close and the biggest thing again you can get away with movement um and which if you've ever hunted coyotes they're like turkeys you can't get away with nothing with a coyote yeah um and, you know, and that's one of the things that we see now. Um, science actually has, in, back in 2016, a big study came out on canines. And the, the big thing for us was that they actually found the, the, uh, the uh, molecule cryptochrome in, in the eyes of canines. That's the same molecule that they've tied to the electroreception in birds, um, the same one that they use to see the electrical fields of the earth um, and all that. So 
when they found the cryptochrome in, in canines, it really made a lot of sense to us because now we realize that canines more than likely are picking this up visually, just like just like birds are. Um, and interestingly enough, there's also some really interesting studies on how um, canines will align with the with the magnetic north when they do all kinds of things when they go to the bathroom when they when they actually um, like uh, coyotes and foxes when they're fi- when they're finding uh, mice under the snow. You'll find they did a study that most of the time, if they line up with magnetic north, because they're using that to triangulate with the electrical field of the mouse and actually be able to, to, to pounce on a mouse when they're, you know, a foot and a half under the snow. So pretty incredible stuff that they've come up with. And it's only just beginning. I mean, there's, there's, there's stuff out there. I just read a, a big thing um, that a guy sent us that's doing studies with, uh, with insects and how mosquitoes are actually actually electroreceptive as well, which makes a lot of sense to me because when I'm wearing my hex suit, um, I mean, mosquitoes are one of those things that you just don't mess, you don't have to worry about. Now, that doesn't work for everybody. I've got a buddy that is, he, he gets eaten up no matter what, but we can sit right side by side and, and I'll get nothing and he'll get eaten up. So we're still learning. I guess the point is we're still learning a lot about the, about different species, but electroreception is a big, big deal in, in the, in the animal world. It's a lot bigger than most people think. Yeah, I agree to that. Now on the mosquito thing, I know in certain parts of Canada, you can have certain parts of Canada. I've, I think they'll actually uh, chew on a on a uh, thermocell wafer just like a mouse does an antler. Like some of those suckers mm-hmm. are so resilient, <laughs> you know. Yeah. There's yeah. certain parts, but um, when it comes to when it comes to just everything else, there's certainly something to it. And it's funny what you said about the coyotes because I had never put this together until till a few minutes ago but several years ago um i was deer hunting and i forget what season it was on but i've killed several coyotes with my bow um when i've been hunting Mm -hmm. but this one time i shot three coyotes on one on one deer stand three coyotes in a row and i always thought that was you know, kind of like an oddity, right? I mean, like su- mm-hmm. super impossible. But I mean, I've been wearing hex since when was the first suit? When was the very first uh, one? You had one of the first ones before we were even out. So we launched the company in 2010, and I believe you probably had one in 2009. Yeah, that, well, yeah, it would be somewhere right in there within the first few seasons of the show. You know, I saw, mm-hmm. I saw a coyote kind of called to it it came right over and and like kind of looked up in the tree at like where i was calling from let me draw back on him i shot him and he 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 kind of yelped and then i think when i first saw that one i had seen that there was a whole pack and they were kind of they were kind of pursuing some deer the scent of some deer that had just come through and then i called and then I remember uh, after I shot that first one, the other ones just kept. I mean, I shoot one, the other ones kept coming back, and I, t- you know, I always sat there and thought like, this is crazy. I've never, 
you know, normally if you whack one and they, you know, they see that happen, Mm -hmm. they don't, they don't keep coming. And yeah, they certainly did. Yep. Now, that is something that, um, well, I mean, the, the canine thing, you know, we, we, we actually sell hexes to the military. Um, some special forces use it um, for, uh, and that's exactly what they use it for, is, um, you know, it allows them to get away with more with dogs. So if you can imagine what a special forces unit is going through when they're, you know, in covert uh, situations, that kind of thing, um, you know, a dog a lot of times is the first thing that, that, that lets the bad guys know that they're there. Um, so actually I got to talk to a guy that, uh, special forces guy at the NWTF and he was, he's been using what he told me was they, they figure they've got an extra 30 to 45 seconds of, of time before the dog's going to alert on them. And for them in that line of work, that's a huge, huge thing. Oh yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, hex is being used in, in those situations. They, they use our base layer and, uh, you know, but you know, 30 to 45 seconds in that kind of a situation is the difference between getting shot and, 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 and achieving your goal. So, um, you know, it's a big deal, uh, with canines and yeah, I, I guarantee it had a lot to do with your experience there. Um, at that time too. Uh, cause like I said, it's, it's, it's really, it's just interesting to see how much science has came along in this, in this, uh, line of thinking. And there's still skeptics out there. There's tons of them, but you'll find that if you, even if you go online and look, there's not a whole lot of skeptics that have ever used one. So, you know, that, that always makes me feel good 10 years in and, and we literally have, you know, I mean, there's skeptics that say, oh, that doesn't work, but none that's tried it that say that. So, you know, we're pretty proud of that fact, actually. Well, I want you to walk me through what I need to do for my first day uh, going against my instincts of not going to the <laughs> not going to the water hole and being worried about crocodiles. So, um, <laughs> so I've got a spot where I know there's I know there's turkeys frequenting. Um, do you, and I do have a blind there, which I was planning on using for the camera person. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you, how still are you sitting? Like in some of these spots, it, you know, sometimes it takes time to play out whether, you know, I, I like to hunt areas where I know turkeys are going. Like you said, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. really, a you know. I guess I don't. I, I guess I wasn't really thinking about like running and gunning. I was. I'm just in an area where I know they're they're kind of coming to. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. how still are you sitting during you know during that time where, like, say you're on your chair, it's getting light. Maybe you can see turkeys on the roost. Like, mm-hmm. on a scale of one to ten, how still are you sitting at that point? Um. At that point, like I said, I like to set as still as I can. Um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily like hooked up. Um, you know, of course, you know, I, you have your release on your, on your loop or whatever, but you know, I'm not, I'm not like having my hand on it ready to draw every second, but you know, you want to be setting pretty still. Um, you know, cause the more movement that you do, the more it's, you know, cause like I said, if, especially on a calm morning where there's not a lot of breeze or anything like that, um, you know, that movement is, again, they're not blind. They're, they're, they're still, can, they can still see. So, you know, you want to set somewhat still, but, 
like I said, you can move your head around, um, that kind of thing. I use a diaphragm call most of the time when I'm, when I'm hunting this way, just so I can just call whenever I want to with my diaphragm. <laughs> but, you know, I've used a slate or a box as well. Usually if I use a slate, I've got a little thing that I can strap around my leg so I can just take the striker down and, and you know, just use it that way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I don't have to do a ton of like, getting in and out of your pocket, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, we do a lot of, a lot of times we'll put the camera person in a blind and I'll just use the blind as back cover. Um, you know, cause that is one of the things that while we've done it with, you know, basically sitting out in the open without anything, you're going to up your chances a lot if, if, if they're not as, as able to pick up your, your outline as much. Cause like I said, they still have great eyes and they can still pick out outlines and that kind of thing. But, you know, like I said, I, a lot of times we'll back up against a blind, setting outside. Um, one of the cool things about doing that is you can see a whole lot more <laughs> setting outside the blind than you can inside the blind. Yeah. And uh, and it's not a disadvantage when they come in at all. It really isn't. So when they start to get in, you know, inside of 50 yards or whatever, I mean, at that point, I've I've slowly reached up, you know, got, got ready, you know, hold the release, get ready to go, that kind of thing. And... Uh, then, you know, my chair I've got that I use is a rotating one. So, you know, if I need to spin a little bit to, to get the angle so I can draw my bow right and all that. Um, so you're just kind of slowly working that as they're coming in. And then when they get ready, when they get in and you get ready to shoot, um, literally all you need to do is pull back and shoot. Now, I will tell you, with turkeys, having everything covered is very, very important. So, um, I will tell you that um, a face net of a hex face mask is going to be important in this, um, yep. as well as gloves. So um, I can tell you a little story about the importance of face mask real quick. Um, years ago, when we first started doing this. You know, it was really the first, probably it's probably been five or six years ago. My dad and I were hunting. He actually forgot his hex face mask. Um, so he had another one, just a non-hex one. He put it on. We were sitting 20 yards apart on decoys. We literally watched the birds fly out of the tree. It's one of them perfect mornings that almost never happens, but they flew out of the tree, flew right to us. Three gobblers coming right up. Um, they're 15 yards from me or less, and they're probably 25 yards from dad. And this bird's coming up and Mean, mind you, I'm raising my bow. I'm all, I mean, I'm almost ready to draw. And the bird defans and he turns and looks right straight at my dad. My dad hadn't moved a muscle. Um, but he, he, he didn't run, but he, but he kind of looks and I went ahead and drew my bow and killed the turkey. But it really drove home the, the importance of having everything covered with turkeys because the only difference was dad didn't have his insect face mask on, although he had a regular one on. He was still camoed. But that electrical field that was coming out of dad, when that turkey got close enough, it was enough to, to make him notice that he was there. And, uh, that was one of the, one of the, those times it's like, okay, all right, let's keep it all covered. And <laughs> if you do that, if you do that, you're going to be in good shape. Now, let's, uh, have you been able to shoot at all? I was going to talk a little bit of archery. Not but... yet. Uh, yeah, no, I'm still. I'm still recovering from shoulder surgery. That thing has given me fits. Uh, actually, I had surgery last May. It will be a year ago on May 22nd. I, am, I, you know, I had rotator cuff surgery, and uh, it was a partial tear. And they they did the surgery and ended up in September um, when, I, when I actually shot a really nice bull last year. Um, and in the in the process of getting him taken care of and everything like that, I ended up basically pulling that loose again and 
long story short, I ended up having to uh, have another surgery in December. So, so I am off the bow and arrow until June. So I can't wait to get back on it. And, and recovery is coming out, coming good. But it's still, it's still going to be a little while before I'm shooting arrows again. Are you not? This will, do you not want to try mouth tab? You know, I thought about it, but um, getting old like I am, unfortunately, I got to admit that I'm getting old. Um, I've got some some tooth issues too that I don't know that I'd like to try. <laughs> so I, I've got a bad shoulder. I really don't want to have uh, no teeth at the same time. So uh, while I thought about it, um, you know, it's it's like okay, this year one thing I've never done in my whole life, I've never shot a turkey with a shotgun. So I am going to do that this year, um, and I'm going to try a couple of things. I don't know if I can get away with it, but one of the things that I'm going to try this year is I'm going to try to shoot a turkey with my shotgun, and I'm just shooting a 20-gauge, so I'm limiting myself a little bit that way. But um, believe it or not, I'm going to wear an orange vest and see if I can do it because I don't know. I I, I don't know. I've I've never tried it. Um, Just to to push the limit even further, and we'll see if we can do it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You know, this bird vision thing is has been misunderstood for a while. Um, I don't know. I may I may fail horribly, but I'm going to try it. I've actually got a orange vest that I'm going to put on, and we're going to see. We're going to see. Well, when is this? Because I because we need to. <laughs> I want to do a follow up as soon as this happens. <laughs> well, our season opens on the 15th of April. Um, and it goes all the way till the end of May. So, um, just depending on, on how the birds are acting and all that. I, last year, I actually killed all my birds in May last year. Um, you know, we had bad weather early on and all that. And I think, I, I think I didn't shoot my first bird till like the, uh, it was sometime in the first week of May before I even shot my first bird. And I shot all three of mine in, you know, in that first two week period of May. So um, a lot of times here, you know, by then the hens are mostly setting. So the, the gobblers are a lot easier to get in a little bit later. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm not sure, but I'm going to give it a try. Who knows? I can't. Uh, if it, I was going to say, I can't believe you haven't like concocted some type of a thing where you can shoot with a mouth tab without a mouth tab or something because you're like the king yeah. you're the king of inventions <laughs> so this is right up your alley well the the problem is and it, it, if this was my my right shoulder you know my draw shoulder i might have been a little more inclined to do that but holding the bow with my left hand and trying to shoot with my left eye i, I don't know it just seems like seems like an even even more more of a challenge and and yeah i mean to be off also to be super honest with it we have been so busy here at hacks trying to just just keep up with demand and keep things going to be honest with you my time has been a little bit limited too but uh yeah and normally i probably would have thought something up and and you know i know and and you probably know this you know jeff Fabree's a really good friend of mine um i used back when i shot archery all the time uh, jeff's one of these amazing guys he's uh actually a, a war vet um he's got one arm and one leg and he can outshoot anybody in the freaking world with his mouth tap <laughs> um so yes i mean and i know you did it too so i have some I have yeah some, he helped. definitely have some uh he helped me. Was Jeff the one who helped you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, Jeff's amazing. 
Yeah, he's he's incredible. Um, so I have the resources to to reach out and do that. It's just like I said, I I've got a I've got a, a tooth implant that's kind of giving me problems, and it's like mm, I'm not sure that I want to do that. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's just it's just been a time thing and all that. And I'm I'm looking at this and thinking, yeah, it's temporary. And you know, actually, you know, I'm a I'm a bow hunter through and through, but. Having never shot one with a shotgun, eh, I guess I can say I did it, hopefully. But maybe I can say I shot a shotgun, uh, a turkey with a shotgun and an orange vest. Who knows? What about, (laughs) well, that would be, honestly, yeah, that would be way cooler. What about like an atlatl? Like if you just change Um, the game a little bit, I think you could. Yeah, that would, that would be interesting. interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I played a little baseball when I was younger. I never really thought about that. Yeah. That would definitely change the game, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how big? How big of an impact has um, when? And I, I had talked to Joe for a while about getting Forrest on on Rogan's show, and uh-huh. then when Forrest Galante went on and kind of started talking about obviously all the stuff he does with animals, I knew it would kind of trip Joe out just because he's you know Joe kind of. He likes the raw, wild type thing. How much do you feel like that opened people's eyes to to what Hex is is actually doing? Because he's such a credible person that is a full believer in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's helped us a ton. I mean, you know, that's the thing that a lot of the hunting community may not know is you know, hex is much more than a hunting technology. Um, and, you know, forest is, you know, he uses it all the time. Um, as a matter of fact, he was, uh, he was doing some stuff with, with crocodiles here and, and actually his shoe got shut down, um, because of the COVID thing. But, um, you know, he uses it all the time. And obviously going on, on Joe's podcast has given us some huge exposure as well. And, and it's interesting because, uh, Forrest and, and Joe become pretty good friends. I know they did some other stuff out of the wolf sanctuary and, and, uh, you know, they've kept in touch, but it's, it's, the, the thing is, is that, like I said, Hex is a, a technology that, that was born in hunting because that's really where my roots are and where I, what I know. But, um, you know, the, the advantages with all kinds of animals, whether you're hunting them or whether you're just trying to get close for research, like, like uh, Forrest does, um, you know, we've got a lot of bird watchers and wildlife photographers. Um, I even have a veterinarian out in um, out in Indiana that has become a huge thing for us. Um, he's wearing hex in the veterinary clinic and seeing major differences with just the the demeanor of dogs and cats, um, particularly, you know, when he's, uh, when he's actually doing veterinary work on them. So, you know, like I said, it's going in a lot of different ways, obviously the aquatic thing as well. Uh, people that have watched shark week last, last in the last two years, actually have seen hex, uh, hex wetsuits, you know, I mean, we were on Ronda Rousey, um, and Aaron Rodgers, for instance, and then, you know, most of the researchers, um, on Shark Week, so you know, like I said, the technology is is way reaching further than hunting, and um, and it does have an impact. It's finally after ten years, a lot of our naysayers are like, you know, been around for ten years and it's being used in research and everything else. Maybe this stuff's real, and it's like, yeah, it, it, it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's part of the reason why I continually talk about it, and 
we're so selective on things that we sell too. I mean, I'm you. Well, you know me more than anybody probably because oh, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. even I don't even know how long you and I have known each other. But um, long time. <laughs> yeah, it's almost weird, isn't it, when you realize how long you've been friends with someone, and then you real like it's not that it's it's not the length of time. It's just you realize like Jesus. I'm definitely old. Like at some point, at some point it's like, if I've done this, this long, I'm just, I'm just an aging, you know, just getting old, doing the same, same thing I've loved since day one, which is a blessing. But at the same time, yeah, it's a, it's a wake up sometimes, but I've always, yeah, I've always been picky on products. I mean, even back when, um, you know, when you owned uh, winner's choice and really, changed everything about the everything about the string game uh back mm -hmm. then you know we had some some pretty in-depth conversations and uh and then i think that's kind of what kicked it all off wasn't it we just kind of both realized that we were always asking why we ask why about a lot of things and yep. we, we like it when things are are good and if things aren't good we try to make them better and then if if they just they, if they suck, we just, we're pretty honest about that too. But yeah, you're one of the very few, kind of one of the very few products that, that we sell that, that I, you know, that I sell, I wanted to sell. And I also use it all the time too, because it's, you know, I just keep trying to tell people like, listen, you know, it's, it's not expensive. Honestly, it's, you know, I think you guys have a great price point for, for what it does. And I don't know, I feel like, especially now, as I continue to educate and use that platform and more people come in that are kind of green, I feel like it gives them a, a funner experience, you know, a better experience. And one of the reasons why I'm like, you know, so passionate about it. I remember when Joe asked me about it, too. He's like, because he's big into, you know, he's a big, he he's big into proof. He likes pr proof about a lot of things. And. I couldn't answer a lot of the questions and I just had to tell him like, you know, dude, I'll send you one and just wear it. Tell me if you see more stuff, you know, and, yeah. and that's kind of sometimes all you can do for people to, to prove a, a point, you know, especially on it when it's on something that we probably don't have all the technology, you know, out there to, to know how some of this stuff really works. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I guess one of the advantages of being an old guy like you and I is we've got to experience a lot of things and we got to experience a lot of things before what's now considered just, you know, must have technology. I mean, we started, you know, when we were bow hunting, I mean, when I started bow hunting, I signed with a recurve, you know, and, uh, you know, as, as, as everything goes on, but the good thing is, it changes, but it's, it's, it's changing, um, you know, for, for a reason, I guess. Um, and you know, with technology, you'll find that the technologies that actually work are the ones that stay around a long time. Um, you know, I mean, the compound bow was invented way back when, and yeah, they've gone through a whole lot of changes, but they're still compound bow. Um, so, you know, having that experience out there is really what's, you know, for me, and you know me, I'm a I'm a tinker. I don't necessarily, um, you know, I, I have to see things for myself. Um, I don't necessarily take anybody's word for anything. 
and and I think outside the box and you know it's just the way I am I, I've done some pretty crazy things um, you know in, in with archery equipment and and this and some of it worked and some of it didn't but um, you know the big thing is um, you know I guess I guess knowing what you're looking at so um, you know a little bit of my history my, my family were cattle ranchers way back in the day and so and I live in a really rural place so I was fortunate enough to be around animals forever and I knew those old timers that really knew um, you know animal you know they were interacting with animals all the time my grandfather he was a big horse guy and he used to say you know that horse is going to know what you're thinking whether you think he does or not <laughs> and so you know all that kind of stuff kind of stuck with me and and uh, when it came down to the hex discovery it was really something that we've all known as hunters we all know that turkeys are going to see you when you move right you just everybody knows that um and they all yeah everybody knows that when an animal big animal particularly gets in close you've got a limited amount of time to get that shot done because he's not going to be there forever pretty quick he's going to know something's there and that's one of the things that that caused us to start thinking okay why and you know science at the time would would tell us that electrical fields couldn't travel through the air that far and there's all kinds of reasons why this wouldn't work but when we were able to actually test it and we were actually seeing completely different reactions from animals on a very consistent basis that's when it started to realize that you know science doesn't necessarily have an explanation and they don't necessarily know everything yet and that's why it's evolving all the time and uh, like I said, it's one of the really cool things about the journey with hacks is we've literally got to see science catch up with us. Um, we were seeing that we were seeing the end result of blocking the electrical field, and now science is starting to say, okay, yeah, okay, well, yeah, they're using this to pick that up. They're using the, you know, the uh, cryptochrome or whatever. But uh, and they still have a lot to learn, and and so do we. But um, the big thing is is that you know just from being out in the woods and and seeing how animals are when you can see them act differently you know you're onto something and that was the reason why i was so adamant even with all the uh all the initial skepticism that we have i mean it was pretty brutal <laughs> you know i mean <laughs> yeah that's an I understatement had, I, I had some of my best friends look at me like i had lost my mind um <laughs> and some of them that would refuse to try it um but, you know, most of the ones that are close to me have actually tried it. And then, again, I mean, we don't really have anybody that's tried it that don't, that don't think it works. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that uh, it's, a, uh, it, it's, it's been a fun, a fun journey, and it continues to be there. I mean, uh, we've got some, some cool stuff coming up. Um, we're actually uh, relaunching our, uh, our aquatic side. It was actually um, it was run by a licensee up until last year. And in the process right now of relaunching that with an even cooler product and and uh, one that's going to be a little more uh, inclusive for the the any kind of underwater not just uh, not just the spearfishing market but actually anybody who wants to to experience you know getting closer it's also um, one of those things that you know you're going to be less detectable by sharks as well um, never going to say you're not going to get attacked by a shark because there's all kinds of things that can attack but one of those things is the electrical field. So, I mean, we're, we're just going a lot of different directions and, 
I mean, we're super excited about where it's headed. Um, you know, it's 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 a really fun journey, and it's only it's only just begun, as they say. <laughs> oh yeah, have we have we podcasted since um, since the ATA? Uh, we have not. We have not. Oh my gosh! I don't know that we. I don't know if we podcasted since. Oh man, it might your season. Yeah, probably. Probably so. Probably so. so. What? Uh, uh, well, I mean. I have to, I honestly, I need to say thanks because you were, you were a big reason why I was very open eared about PSE because, uh, you know, there's, there's, at least for me, there's very limited people that I, that I a hundred percent trust with stuff. And, you know, you've always been honest with me about a lot of things. And when you, when you drew a tag and were deer hunting, uh, you had your PSE and, you know, that was probably the first time where I've really sat down and been very, you know, super just inquisitive of like, you know, tell me what you like, tell me what's, you know, tell Mm -hmm. me this, tell me that. And a hundred percent, you were, you were right about so many things that you had told me about it, you know, you said, I just, I really feel like people just aren't giving it a chance. You know, it's, I think it'd really surprise you. And then, um, I think you and Scott both kind of arranged for me to get one just to, to try out and stuff Mm -hmm. just so I could, you know, get a feel for it and everything. And yeah, I mean, man, since the ATA, a whole lot's, freaking change i mean where's your mind been on it all because you've probably seen it all unfold oh from an outside perspective it, it 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 has been it has been fun to watch john it, it really has um PSE to me is finally getting the recognition that they've deserved for a very long time um you know i mean and you've said it before i mean a lot of the a lot of the archery I guess, uh, you know, if you want to call them elites or whatever, but a lot of the, the guys would kind of consider PSC a third rate, um, you know, or a second rate brand. And they've never been that way. I mean, I've shot PSC. I shot PSC when I was shooting back in the day when we were shooting tournaments, I shot PSC all the time as well. But, um, you know, particularly, I mean, when they came out with the Evolve Cam, it, it, that to me is, is the best all around cam that I've ever shot, period. I mean, it's got a, it's got draw adjustability. It's got great performance. It, it's got, I mean, accuracy is nuts with it. Um, that evolved cam, like I said, is, is up until you came on at the ATA. And I think people are finally starting to wake up to it now, but that thing was the one of the most underrated pieces of archery equipment in the whole industry. I mean, uh, like I said, that, that is the, and that's, that's just the start. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I, I was shooting, I believe I was shooting my carbon air when I was out there. Um, yep. and since I'm shooting a stealth and as soon as I can, as soon as I can shoot again, I'm going to be shooting it and one of the knock on ones. But, um, you know, like I said, I've known it all along. And when, when I was able to come out and spend some time with you, um, you know, like I said, we, we visited a little bit about, about brands and stuff. And, and I said, yeah, you, this thing's, this, these things shoot. They really do. They just perform well. And, uh, you know, I've, I've actually known Pete for a long time. And of course, you know, Scott Eastman's, a, you know, he's the CEO here at Hacks. And, you know, between the two of us, I think we're the ones that kind of helped, uh, helped spur you along to take a look at them. And I'm certainly glad you did. I, <laughs> you know, I think, 
I think it's a great thing for it's a great thing for archery, and it's a really a, a, a cool thing for everybody out there that has been looking at at PSE as something other than a first rate brand because they are they're as good or better than in my opinion they're better than anything out there. So, and I felt that way for years. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have used the brand for a long time that are really excited. You know, just they're they're so pumped that you know, kind of someone's in their side of the ring, so to speak. But one thing I feel really comfortable saying, and I've, I don't know, I think I've maybe got, um, and I don't know how much this, I guess I'll debate whether or not I'll say it, but um, I've been doing some custom builds and they're for people that are important to me. You know, I really, I think it's really important for me to, to remember the people who have helped me along the way and people that I know love archery and, and some people that I just really feel like would have interest in knowing a little bit more about the brand and the why. And so I've, I've been doing some, some custom builds and I feel like I can comfortably say that they out, they outperform expectation and that that's true for what the what the cam produces um if no one's ever pulled one back before like the feel of the cam and you know when it comes to to speed as well it's the same way and i don't know a lot of one thing that's kind of a a continual question in my brain is People saying, you know, now that he's there, I kind of want to see, you know, what all he does to the bows after he's been there, you know, another year, another two years. And the longer I'm shooting them, the, the more I'm realizing there's very small nuances that I'm really going to want to change because I really, really like this this bow and some of my best, closest friends um, and people who really don't care what brand they shoot or anything like that. Um, just people that are hundred percent, you know, unbiased feedback to me as a friend, I haven't had anyone yet that hasn't said like, Whoa, you know, this is, this mm-hmm. is pretty crazy. And, and some of those include really, really reputable and, you know, and high end shooters, you know, to where when they try it, they're, they're really surprised. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Cause it was, it was, it was a hard move to make, you know, it's just like, that was a really, really hard move to make. And I'm, I'm trying not to like jam it down too many people's faces, but the reality is I also talk a lot about things that I'm excited about. And that's just, true to who I am and every single one that I set up and every one that I build, I kind of find a different type of confidence and, in, in things that I really like about it. And I don't know the easeability of it. And I don't know, I'm having, I'm having fun again, just having, you know, something new and different to work on and also just seeing, seeing people's you know responses because to a lot of people it's new as well so i'm getting to see you know those first reactions a lot which is also just kind of just kind of fun yeah well yeah no doubt um you know like i said pse 
you know, I, they've got an engineer there named David Cronengold. Um, David is, he is one of the smartest archery guys you're ever going to meet. And, you know, so the, it doesn't surprise me that the more you shoot it and the more builds you do, the more you, you know, kind of appreciate what's already there. Um, and, and like you, I'm, I'm a huge, well, I'm probably even more than you. I'm a huge tinkerer and I like to mess with stuff and see what, <laughs> yeah, uh, you're way more but, than me, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, with that one, it's, it, there's not a lot. There really isn't. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty well thought out piece of equipment when you pick it up. Um, there's not a whole lot you got to do to it. Um, you know, I mean, there's some, you know, like, like, you know, adding the kickstand accessory, and, and, and changing the shelf and some of the things that you did, I think are great. Um, they're, they're really cool. But I mean, as far as the, the platform itself, it's pretty bulletproof. It really is. I've shot a bunch of them now and boy, I, I, I just can't wait to get back to shooting them again. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the worst part for me is I haven't, I haven't shot an arrow since, uh, I guess November now, I guess. I, last arrow I shot, I shot a deer here in, uh, in, uh, Oregon, um, in November. And that's the last arrow that I've shot. So I'm itching to get back at it and, and, uh, start playing. I've got a, I've got a, a uh, one of the knock on bows here that I haven't even, I haven't even, did anything with it yet but uh anyway i'm itching to get back and uh, get back to shooting but again yeah the 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 platform that they have is it's pretty bulletproof it really is and it's the, the cool thing is is you don't have to be a certain type of archer to to like it necessarily because you know i mean you know, I'm not a guy that likes the, uh, I call them a jumpy cam. So I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the guy that likes the, you know, I pull into the wall, but if I, if I let up just a little, I don't want it jerking out of my hand. And that's one of the things that the BSC doesn't do. And, uh, but yet it still gives you the performance of those quote unquote speed bows too. So I don't know. It's, 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 it's pretty hard to beat. It really is. I feel like it, it definitely outperforms like probably the advertised, expectation mm-hmm. for speeds and stuff but one of the things that i've noticed i haven't really talked about is and maybe you can tell me if you found this too just because you have more time behind it but i found that the cam is actually really nice for how forgiving it is on string wear mm-hmm. yep have you it noticed really that is. Yep, I have. I have. Um, you know, of course, being a being an old string guy, I mean, that that was my life for a very, very long time. And, uh, you know, so that I'm I'm particularly, um, you know, I pay attention to that more than probably most people. But yeah, I mean, that cam, I mean, you just don't get the what I call hot spots. Like, you know, a lot of cams where it rolls over the uh, on the cable, there'll be a, a super hard bend that that's just as a string builder. It's it's always one of those things that you have to you have to to worry about making sure the serving doesn't separate and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it's it's this this one just doesn't have those issues. It really doesn't. It's easy on the strings. Um like I said, there's not a whole lot of bad uh, bad that there is to say about that platform from a from a shootability standpoint, a performance standpoint, a wear standpoint. Um, you know, I still have the the carbon air that I shot in that I was hunting with out in Iowa. That's what I was hunting with um, this fall because you know when I hurt my shoulder again, I had to reduce my weight. So that was the bow that I had um because earlier in the i drew a, a nevada tag early and i wasn't ready to pull the heavier weight yet so i had it set up at like i don't know like 59 pounds or something um 
And uh, so, and that's still got the same set of strings on it that I had when I was in Iowa. It's had, I can't even tell you how many thousands and thousands of shots through it. And I mean, they're still like brand new and, and going strong. And yeah, I mean, um, like I said, I just can't say enough good about them. I don't have a, I don't have a single complaint with my PSAs, which is normal because like you said, they, they do, and they've always done this. They've always you know, under advertise what they're capable of, you know, and which I've always actually appreciated. Uh, you know, I've had other brands that, that don't necessarily do that. They promise you the moon and, you know, don't necessarily, don't necessarily, uh, you know, get all that. Uh, all <laughs> PSEs always give you more than what they say. So, and that's always been that way. Did you change anything? Um, like, major this last season i know we talked kind of at the front end of the season but did you make any gear changes that would like come as a surprise um not really i mean i i've i've maybe this comes from being old too i don't know but uh, i've i've got to um I've, I've got a certain way I built things, you know, build my arrows, build, you know, I mean, I've shot the shuttle T broadheads forever and I, and I'm, I continually to be, I'm always impressed with them here in Oregon. We couldn't shoot expandables for years. So I didn't even look at those for years, but to be honest with you, they're legal now, but I still shoot my shuttles because they've always performed well for me. Um, you know, I, I pretty much, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still setting up. I, I still use my spot dog sites. Um, that's, that's my go-to. Oh, I can, you know, I've, I've got some new news just so, you know, just, yeah. just so you know, I haven't told, I haven't told anybody, but, um, yeah, I, I'm actually going to be doing a collaboration with spot hog. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that, they're a great bunch of guys too. I've known yeah, them for, for ever. sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and I know you know this story, but, you know, I've told people a lot that if it wasn't for Steve Johnson, who is the, the he's the, the originator of Spot Dog, I think uh, Cave and Josh run it now, his sons, for the most part. I don't know if Steve's doing a lot day to day, but if it wasn't for him, there probably wouldn't have been a winner's choice. Um, way, way back in the day, um, you know, my former partner and I were shooting a lot of tournaments and and all that kind of thing. And, you know, obviously strings were a big deal. And Steve was actually one of the people that was building the best strings out there. And, you know, they're not very far from us. I mean, they're on in, on the west side of Oregon, on the east side. So we knew them well. And Steve was actually one of the ones that, that told us about twist rates and some of the real key things that eventually morphed into what was winner's choice. So, um, you know, I've known those guys a long time. I've got a great relationship with them and you are going to absolutely love those products. I mean, and obviously you've tried them, but I mean, you want to talk about a bulletproof bulletproof, uh, they don't build anything that isn't, that isn't hundred percent. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, well, let's, and I guess I want to, I guess I might as well tell people why too. I just, um, I guess with the Sherlock point of view, just so everyone knows, you know, I've got a 20 year old site and it just got to the point where I couldn't wait any longer. And all these builds that I've been doing for people, I've been building with spot hogs because I really, um, like you said, I know they're bulletproof. I know it's, you know, it's something I can put on someone's bow and, and easily tell them how to navigate, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, yeah, just got to the point where 
I had a conversation with um, with them about you know some of these. Well, to be to be honest, I bought forty of them just to put on my friends' bows um, for you know these these NTNs that I'm building for friends. So mm-hmm. I, I bought a whole bunch on them, and that kind of started the conversation. And you know, I said, "Hey, you know, there's a few things I would." I would love to just tweak that are minor. And then, um, and then I actually talked with, uh, cam and said mm-hmm. like, Hey, you know, I know, I know spot hogs kind of been your, you know, that's kind of your thing. And I said, you know, do you think that, you know, we could put our heads together and come up with, with something cool down the road. And he just said, freaking love it. Let's do it. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm which one are you shooting? Cause I I'm, I'm like kind of in, in trial mode. I've put more, way more on other people's bows and shot way more than I'm shooting myself. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious, like what, what are some of the, the thought processes for you on some of these things? Yeah. So, so I've been on the last few bows, I've, I've been shooting that. They, they call it the Tommy hog. So it's a, it's an adjustable, um, you know, it's got the, the adjustability, but I actually also shoot seven pens. So my thought process, uh, thought process behind that is, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a, the kind of guy that wants to be adjusting my sight for yardage, uh, on normal bow shots, right? So, um, I set mine up, um, with pins from 20 to 80. Um, but what I use, I use my bottom pin as a rover. So if I want to go out and, and launch some bombs at a hundred yards or, you know, 120 or whatever, you know, I just, I have that capability and, um, I, I did do, and actually we should talk later cause I have an, a great idea for you on that one. Okay. Um, as far as Perfect. adjustability, cause I'd say it's a little thing that I've been doing. Um, it's basically a, a quick stop. So, cause the way I use mine is, I, I leave it set for most of the hunting time, you know, I just leave it set. So I've got 20 through 80. Um, and then, um, I'll, I'll use that wheel to adjust my, my whole side housing up and down, but I'm just aiming with my bottom pen. Yep. Um, but I actually been doing for several years, I've developed a little thing that allows you to very quickly spin that back and it goes right back to where it's supposed to be for, for a close shot. So it's something I've actually talked to them a little bit about it, but, uh, it's something we should uh we should talk about for sure i'll send you some pictures and stuff but okay um i like that uh, yeah it'd be an easy little thing it's just it's just nice because so because if you're in the field and you know say you know like for instance a couple years ago you know we like there was a coyote out in the field he was like 99 yards so i just cranked my uh my sight down there because i mean around here kind of my feeling with coyotes is if you didn't shoot at them you're not really trying (laughs) so uh, uh, so i cranked it down 99 yards center punched him and then literally just a few minutes later we were actually on deer again so all i had to do was just spin that back i didn't have to even look i mean i just spun it back till it stopped and it it was it was good to go for a regular shot again so um but yeah we'll talk about that but um yeah i mean um the other things that i do that you know they've got that big multicolored ring which when they first came out with that it it took me a little while to understand exactly their method behind that mm-hmm. but i've actually come to love that a lot too because as light conditions change the way what you see looking through your peep is different so in, in brighter conditions 
your 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 site housing actually looks smaller through your peep site, and in, and the darker it gets, the more the more you'll be able to pick up around it. Well, that ring actually helps keep you centered a lot better than than uh, just about anything out there, and I, I I've come to really like that uh, a lot. Um, and then on mine, you know, I, I actually graduate my pen size as well. So I shoot a big, a big fiber on my 20 yard pens Then I go to one of the medium sizes. And then I go to a really small one for my, for my 80 yard pen. Cause you know, you're aiming further out. So it covers up less target when it's way out there. And that's just what I do. Um, but the cool thing is there's so many combinations. If somebody wants to shoot a single pin or, you know, they've got the double pin um, thing now as well. Um, there's just a lot of combinations. So it's, it's, it's something that just about anybody can find something that works for them. Yeah, we're going to be um... – we're actually waiting on a few minor changes that I talked to him about um, cosmetically. And then um, we're going to we're actually going to start offering them because I'm just really working towards offering people more and more the exact types of things that I really personally like to use and and uh, mm-hmm. and, and enjoy. But there's definitely a few little tweaks just from the limited exposure that I've had on them with with you know i've set them i've set a ton of them up for friends for friends bows because i just feel like it's so user friendly for especially for someone who doesn't have a lot of knowledge in the archery realm you know and it gives them the ability ability to shoot a lot further so yeah i forgot about that i forgot you were a spot hog person so that's going to be we're going to be right back to uh where we were like you know four months ago or whatever it was when I was sending, you know, FaceTiming you with, well, like those, (laughs) do you remember with the quick sticks? I was, um, was I, was, did I have them like rubber banded or duct taped on when I was trying to show you? Yeah. Something like that. Something (laughs) like that. We did, we did a, we did a FaceTime thing. Um, and you say, I gotta, you know, what do you think of this stuff? And yeah, I, I think they were. They might have been duct taped. I don't remember now, but it wasn't. They weren't permanent, but it gave me the. You know, I mean, obviously, it was uh, good enough to see what you were thinking. So yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, that bow wasn't even anodized or anything. It was. It was still uh, like right out of the, <laughs> right out of the machine, man. So I, I know it was such a it was such a fun um, project for me because one of the things that people just probably don't understand is. It's really fun for me to be able to include people with, like, I guess sharing information a little bit more because I've, I really enjoy the process of, of a lot of different things. And, you know, for the most part with other companies, they're pretty restrictive on how much you can show at times. And I, I, I have a pretty good understanding of knowing my limitations to what I what I can show that's going to obviously be IP, you know, problems versus what I can show to like, you know, let people see the whole process. But I mean, you know, I have, and most of the rooms that I occupy time in almost all of them. And actually funny enough, I just, I just did another one um, yesterday and I have chalkboards like anywhere where I occupy time. I have chalkboards and I always have chalk in my pocket. So like for that one, that bow, after I kind of cobbled it together, I just sat it in my kitchen and, 
you know, you've seen my chalkboard when I just start like concepting and I just sit there and, you know, I might have like a, you know, bottle of wine or listen to some tunes and I just stare at it, you know, and just look at it long enough and, and then call people like you that I really trust and say like, Hey, do you think this is, do you think this is a problem or do you think it would be better if, if something had this and uh yeah it was it was fun to be able to do that i remember i remember showing it and i had forgot that actually i had forgot that i showed you that silver one with you know i'm pretty sure i duct taped it or something yeah i think it might have been they were temporary (laughs) but 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 it was the idea that mattered you know i mean that's you got to start somewhere no matter what but uh yeah, I mean, a lot of times that's the best way to to overcome a, a problem is just to kind of stare at it. And, you know, for me, I go through I'm, I'm a real um, the way I think about things is, is, you know, in the in the physical standpoint. So, you know, you know, you visualize, for instance, if you're if you're wondering, you know, trying to figure out an aeroflight problem, for instance, or a tuning problem, visualize what's going on in slow motion in your brain. Um, you know, during that shot and, and understand that, you know, it, it helps you to kind of, I guess, understand the dynamics that might be play, coming into play. And a lot of times that's what I do to, to overcome if it's a, it's a bow tuning problem or, you know, a lot of different things. I mean, you know, just kind of visualize what in slow motion, what all the, what all kind of forces are, are at play. And a lot of times, if you think about it that way, a lot of times you can identify the, the, the culprit that you're trying to fix a lot of times. And so, yeah, just staring and, 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 and like I said, going through in your mind in slow motion, what every piece does is it's really beneficial. And that's how I go about solving almost every archery problem to start with. If it's one that's, you know, not obvious that we've dealt with before, but yeah. Well, you and I both aren't um, like, we're not engineers, you know, we're not like, you know, we know, we know people like David Cronengold and, you know, we know like, you know, Darren Cooper, you know, people that have like these brains that are super powered. And then, then there's you and I, and we're, yeah, we're, we're conceptors. Yeah. Yeah. We're duct, <laughs> we, we we're duct with- tape. We're duct tape. Exactly. Exactly. We're <laughs> conceptors. And like I said, I'm not an engineer and, and I know just enough about it to get, to get myself in a lot of trouble. But, you know, the thing is, is we're conceptors. We, we come up with the ideas and then we go find somebody that knows how to do them to actually in, to implement them. So, I mean, that's, that's always been my strength. It's not actually necessarily going out and building something. It's, it's, it's designing the concept first and then finding somebody with a lot more brains than me to actually figure out how to do it. So, but hey, when we like that way. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, um, every time we podcast, I don't want to get you off the phone because I've just, I just always have so much fun talking to you, um, and I, and and it's one of those things where I'm where I every time I think you know why don't you guys pick up the phone and talk more? But we're both doing stuff. Um, yeah, it it especially I mean since ATA I mean you have been you have been a mile a minute. There's no doubt. It's been fun watching. Just uh, I I don't really want to bug you that much because I know I mean you're doing some super cool stuff. But I really appreciate. Uh, you know, being able to get on and do a podcast again and, and catch up. And yeah, we need to do it more often because I enjoy the heck out of it. Well, there's so much stuff that's happening right now on the knock on side that I'm 
purposely being quiet about in case, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't happen. But all I can say is I've never been home this much. So my chalkboards have freaking come alive and we've, uh, we've, we've made a lot of huge, huge plays for things that are going to be coming down the road that I'm really excited about for all of our followers. But one thing that I just thought about, I wanted to run by you when you are ready to shoot again, it'd be really cool if when you did your, your bow setup that we do it mm-hmm. together. Cause I would love to do, a bow build with you just to see like our differences and nuances and stuff. It'd be a really fun little video to do. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that for sure. Absolutely. hundred percent. I'm all over that. Now are we elk hunting? Are we elk hunting together this year? I forgot. We can. Did I have to get, <laughs> did I have to get tags already? I, I guess. No, no. Okay. No, out here we're, uh, uh, we're over the counter here, so it's no big deal at all. Yeah, we're due for one of those as well. Yeah, know. it's been way too long, way too long. To <laughs> so, actually, I was I was kind of hoping to maybe come out and visit you a little bit before this COVID thing all hit. And yeah, no and kidding. You kind of plan on doing the podcast in person and all that, and and uh, thought we could talk about bows and arrows and turkey hunting and deer hunting and all that good stuff it's uh we always have a lot of fun when we're together a lot of uh i always leave with a lot of uh a lot more questions in my mind (laughs) (laughs) that'll never change i hope not i hope not that's one of the fun fun parts of uh of our lifestyle is uh the stuff we get to play with is pretty pretty fun i'm glad i'm not an accountant or a you know, something like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Hire me for that. And you might as well kiss everything goodbye. You know, Oh, me too. <laughs> me it, too. People would be asking about the numbers and I'd be like, Oh, I erased them off the chalkboard yesterday. I had another idea today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's about how it would work with me too. I, <laughs> fortunately we've got guys in our company like Scott, there are number guys. So I don't have to, I don't have to do it myself as much. I'm still the idea guy. And, and, uh, you know, I enjoy doing what we're doing. I enjoy, I actually enjoy the TV show and and all that kind of thing that we do. And and uh, it's just it's just a fun lifestyle. I've I've grown quite accustomed to it. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have to do it. Well, we got to give credit to the gals. Like both both you and I are both blessed with uh, with wives yeah. that have like every bit of part of our success in business is as us being duct tapers and chalkboard writers. Well, yeah, I mean, my wife has always been, she's always done the bookkeeping and kept the bills paid and, and all that kind of thing. And, and even back with, with winner's choice, I mean, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't have done it without her. There's no doubt about that. So, yeah. And, and I know Sharon's a key part of yours as well. And yeah, we're really blessed with that too. So you know what? In, in this kind of time, I mean, it's one of those, one of those times when a lot of people are looking at, yet uh all this sort of scary stuff going on but the best thing you can do is count your blessings and and you know live every day to the fullest i mean that's all you can do you know it really is yeah i agree well i know you've got some meetings coming up and we've gone a little bit longer than normal but i think we covered some good stuff and uh i don't know i've got I've got a long list of tasks I got to do today so i got to get rolling too but man can't appreciate you anymore as a friend and uh i don't know at times 
you know, I, I worked for you at Winner's Choice and um, I don't know. We've got a lot of got a lot of cool stuff we've done together. And I uh, like you said, times like these, you really start to appreciate all these little things. And this was a this was a fun part of the day. I'm glad we both weren't able to travel and had to, you know, had to. Yeah, had to social distance. I guess if that's the correct term for it, but <laughs> yeah, we're, we're about about I don't know what eighteen hundred miles apart. So I guess that's far enough. <laughs> <laughs> Too far, actually. Yeah. No, I really enjoy it. I appreciate you having me on, and um, I mean, it's just been a fun ride, and I always enjoy our discussions, and we just need to have them more often. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I got to go get my uh, my face mask ready and get my lawn chair picked out. <laughs> So I can uh, freaking be the Impala at the waterhole here. There you go. You'll you'll be you'll be amazed. You really will. So <laughs> looking forward to hearing how it goes. So if you need any help with that? Just give me a call too. I'm glad to glad to help with anything. But it, it you're going to be it's it's going to be counterintuitive, but it's going to work fine. <laughs> I think I'll probably send the video to my uncle in Mississippi first, just to just to hear him say what in the hell is that boy doing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i can tell you it's gonna feel weird it's gonna feel like this is insane but yeah just give it a try i think you'll be i think you'll be surprised (laughs) all right thanks so much man i appreciate it have a good one all right thanks john knock on everybody be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com